It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Greg Jarrett. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm David Asman, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. I'm John Saucier. As the war in Ukraine rolls on, the Ukrainian people are giving the Russian military a very tough fight. The Ukrainians have fought like lions and uh, deserve a huge amount of credit for that. And the Ukrainians have fought intelligently and skillfully. They've been able to take advantage of a lot of Russian mistakes. And it, it looks to me as if the Russians are having a very hard time fixing the initial mistakes that got them into this uh, into this place so far. This is the Fox News Rundown. War on Ukraine. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Pentagon reported this week that Russia is now using 100% of the troops and equipment they'd been massing on the Ukrainian border before this conflict began. Since then, the Russian military has made some gains, but have been unable to take over Ukraine and have taken a number of casualties themselves. So who's winning this war and when might Russian forces begin a direct assault on the capital? The Critical Threats Project at the American Enterprise Institute is, uh, is partnered also with the Institute for the Study of War. We're speaking today with Fred Kagan, Senior Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and Director of the Critical Threats Program. He's a former professor of military history. And we're both um, open source intelligence organizations. So what we do is we go through publicly available information and we perform the same kind of activities that the intelligence community does to figure out what's going on, make assessments, make forecasts. And then we make all of that available to policymakers and the general public on our websites. So how do you collect that types of information? You say you do the same thing as intelligence agencies do. Can you just expunge a little more on that? Well, we, we perform the same kinds of analysis. The information we use is all publicly available. So it's drawn from media sites, social media of different sorts. Um, it's all it's all out there in the open. And our, what we do is just apply best intelligence tradecraft to it uh, to turn it into uh, assessments and forecasts. Um, that are uh, like uh, those that you might find in the intelligence community. And you yourself have a background here in studying war. Can you talk about that a little bit for us? Sure. So I have an unfortunately appropriate uh, PhD in uh, Russian and Soviet military history, uh, which I, I really had thought was obsolete by the time I got it, but isn't. Uh, and then I had the privilege to teach as a civilian, um, uh, to teach military history as a civilian at uh, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point for 10 years. Uh, before coming down to AEI and becoming involved in uh, making recommendations, uh, proposing the surge in Iraq, uh, getting to know General Petraeus, and uh, then getting to spend a fair amount of time in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. Okay, so you're kind of a perfect guest to talk about what we are talking about here today, this Russian invasion of Ukraine. I was on your website earlier, and it said, as of right now, we can expect the Russians to be directly attacking the capital city of Kiev within 24 to 72 hours, maybe somewhere in that time frame from at least when we're recording this podcast. What are some of the indications that give you that assessment that a direct attack on Kiev could be coming that quickly? We actually think that the Russians have started this operation, there was a reported Russian attack of about a brigade size on the northwestern sector of Kyiv. And this is the Russians trying to push forward, uh, still in the outskirts of the city, but trying to push forward on the one hand uh, to take the city itself and also on the other to conduct the encirclement of the city. 
um, and they're trying to do both. Uh, we think that they've actually started the operation. Candidly, uh, as is often the case, uh, I think our forecast was a little bit off. Uh, we thought that they would wait until they could conduct a large-scale, well-coordinated attack. Um, they may still, uh, but I think actually they're, they what we're seeing now are these individual sort of almost penny packet attacks that are not very dissimilar from what they've been doing for a while. So right now I'm 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 I'm, I'm thinking that we're actually seeing the attack uh, occurring already, just not on the scale or as well coordinated as I expected it to be. And this has kind of been a theme so far with the Russian military, at least when you read reports of how they've conducted themselves in Ukraine, that this all-out attack hasn't really gone as well as maybe they had originally planned and they haven't made as advancements as quick as they thought. Is this something that you agree with? Do you think the Russians are having a tough time attacking Ukraine? Their military hasn't behaved very well so far? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, this is this is you were very diplomatic there. I mean, you know, the Russians clearly thought that they were going to be in Kiev in a couple of days, that they were going to be in Kharkiv in a couple of days. They thought that the Ukrainians were not going to resist. Uh, and they were really not ready for uh, a big, tough fight. And that's shown they've not been the Russians have not been very competent in the planning, preparation and conduct of their operations. Um, and they've really they've gotten bogged down in ways that you never would have expected if you just sort of look at the basic kind of net assessment stuff you know uh what you know what military professionals look at how many tanks do they each side have how many artillery pieces you really would have thought that the russians would just roll um but they've conducted uh, really very badly planned attacks and badly coordinated and uh they've the ukrainians have fought like lions and uh, deserve a huge amount of credit for that and the ukrainians have fought intelligently and skillfully um, but they've been able to take advantage of a lot of Russian mistakes. And it, it looks to me as if the Russians are having are, are having a very hard time fixing the initial mistakes that got them into this uh, into this place so far. OK, so that's a pretty interesting assessment there. It tells me that maybe it's going to be a lot harder to take this capital city. The Russians taking it from the Ukrainians, as we originally thought, because really it was a foregone conclusion. Ukraine's got the, the tenth of the military that Russia has. So wouldn't it be so easy for them to take over the country? So far, it's been kind of tough sledding for the Russians. And as you mentioned, they've made a number of mistakes there, too. And maybe one of them underestimating the Ukrainians. Let's just say for argument's sake, though, in the next few days, few weeks, the Russians do actually push into the capital city of Kiev, Ukraine. What do you think that type of attack would look like? And what is your assessment for how long it might take for the actual fighting in the streets to start happening? Well, we've already got, uh, you know, fighting in the streets. It's just it's it's in the outskirts. So I can't really tell you how long it would take the Russians to get, you know, into central Kiev because I'm not 100 percent sure that they that they will. Um, we're seeing a lot of Russian uh, mech organized forces get ground up in the outskirts. Um, you know, casualty estimates are all over the place, but the Russians are losing a lot of soldiers and they're losing a lot of equipment. And I think it's pretty clear that Russian morale is pretty bad. But you're asking what the fighting is going to look like. It's going to look like, um, honestly, it's going to look like something we haven't really seen uh, for a long time because, you know, we've had uh, fighting in cities before. We've had mechanized fighting in cities, you know, U.S. forces in Baghdad and Mosul and so forth. And we've had Russian forces in Aleppo and Syria and elsewhere, but we haven't been fighting against a mechanized enemy. And so here you've got, you know, Ukrainians have tanks and, and artillery and stuff, and the Russians do, uh, both of them do. It's, you know, it's something that, that may look a lot more like, you know, World War II battles in cities, 
uh, where both sides uh, have, uh, you know, mechanized equipment. I think the Ukrainians are going to are, are dug in. I think they're going to fight. I think their their determination to defend their capital is high. And I think you're going to see a lot of the city, um, you know, wrecked. I think the Russians have demonstrated that they are they're prepared to destroy Ukrainian cities to save them. Um, and being sarcastic there on save them, of course. Um, and I think it's unfortunately likely that we're going to continue to see a huge amount of devastation wrought on Kyiv and other Ukrainian cities as the Russians try to drive their way through what I expect will be very intense Ukrainian defense. It's really been sad watching some of the videos here of these buildings in cities across Ukraine where it's standing there, nice looking building, all of a sudden, bam, it's blown up. And then you see civilian buildings as well with apartment buildings, parking garages, you name it. The Russians have been shelling it. And another very disturbing thing that I've been seeing in these videos and reading reports on your website, the civilians, the Ukrainian civilians that have been caught up in this. It seems that the Russians who say they're not targeting civilian areas actually are going specifically after civilians. Why would they do that? Is there some sort of strategy there? Listen, the Russians seem to be taking leaves out of the playbook that they used in Syria. Um, you know, it's it's hard to point at any particular hit at a, you know, on a civilian target and say, did they do that intentionally or did they miss? Sometimes you can. I, um, and there are people who are working on that. People who are working up the war crimes charges against the against Putin and other uh, war criminals in Russia who have ordered this and other uh, atrocities. Um, but what is very clear and what we're seeing in Western Kiev is that the, the Russians have applied in the area of the town of Irpin, a uh, suburb of Western Kiev, um, what we called in Syria the siege and starve technique, uh, where they would surround an area and they would prevent people from leaving and they would prevent food and water and supplies from getting in. And they would just wait until people were desperate enough actually to surrender. Uh, it's a horrific violation of the laws of war. Uh, it's it's terrible war crime. It's a terrible atrocity. But unfortunately, this has become Russian standard operating procedure. And we're seeing them do that uh, right now in Western Kiev. And I'm afraid that they will extend. Uh, it, I can't even bring myself to call it a tactic uh, elsewhere as they as they find themselves engaged in these very hard fights against an enemy that they really did not expect to stand up to them. We've got an expert on the line today, an expert on war. His name is Fred Kagan, Senior Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and Director of the Critical Threats Program. When you see a map on the Fox News Channel, it's his agency which is giving us that information. We'll get more information from him coming up right after this break. Uh, along with some of these atrocities that we've seen and some of these tactics the Russians have been used, we've seen resilience from the Ukrainians, a really a heroic and, you know, harrowing fight to save their own, not only capital city, but their entire country. But it seems to me, and looking at your maps, looking at data, that slowly but surely the Russian military are making advances in Ukraine. It might be going a little slower than they would have thought, but it is slowly working. We've heard some experts say this war could drag out for a long time, up to maybe 10 years or more. In your assessment, at least as it is today, how long do you think it would be before Russia actually has control of Ukraine? Listen, at this rate, I don't think Russia will ever have full control over Ukraine because, frankly, even if the Russians can complete the conventional phase of this war and actually take, you know, formally take Kiev and the other major cities, I am confident that there's going to be a, a Ukrainian resistance. There will be a Ukrainian insurgency. Ukrainians will not give up the fight for their freedom. The Russians do not have the forces that are required to conduct an insurgency on the scale of 40 or 5 million people. They simply do not. 
Uh, and by the way, the record, the Russian recent, recent track record of counterinsurgency would uh, leave a lot of doubts in your mind about the likelihood that they would succeed at that in any event. So I am confident that Ukraine will emerge from this free at some point. Um, but just at the moment, I'm not even prepared to rule out the possibility that the Ukrainians will fight off this conventional phase and fight the Russians to a standstill. Odds are bad, you know, that the Ukrainians shouldn't even have this shot. Uh, but a combination of the Ukrainian determination that the Russians badly underestimated and the Russian incompetence uh, has given the Ukrainians this shot and the Ukrainians are making the best of it. How much has Western power helping Ukraine been factoring into that equation? Well, not only with military aid, but in other things as well, you know, cutting off, putting sanctions against Russia and whatnot. Is the West a factor in how you're calculating that you don't think Ukraine can fully be taken by the Russians? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think that the Ukrainians would have resisted anyway. I think they would have fought like lions anyway. Um, and I think that there would be an insurgency uh, regardless of Western assistance. This is a the Russians have made this an existential threat to the Ukrainian people and Ukrainian nationhood, which is a thing. The Russians don't think it is, but it actually is. And the Ukrainians are proving that with their blood every day. I think they would have done that anyway. But they are doing it much more effectively because of the tools that the West has been providing, particularly the anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles. Um, you know, Russian tanks are killable. You can kill them with a bunch of different things. But having high-end anti-tank systems um, really gives the Ukrainians an opportunity to impose a lot of casualties on forces that the Russians really probably didn't expect to be taking a lot of losses from. We've been hearing a lot from the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. He's been calling for a no-fly zone to be imposed by NATO. And actually, there was a little bit of a surprise this week when Poland announced that they would go ahead and send Soviet area MiG-29 fighter jets to be eventually shipped to Ukraine. Now, these are fighter jets that Ukrainian pilots would know how to operate. Do you think this would make a, a big difference? The president Zelensky has also asked for more fighter jets as well. If Ukraine can continue to control the skies, does that give them a better chance? Absolutely. One of the most baffling things about this whole war is that the Russians have not been able to establish air superiority over Ukraine. There are still Ukrainian aircraft flying. There's still dogfights in the skies. No one would have bet that that would happen. You've still got Ukrainian aircraft attacking Russian ground uh, formations. That matters a lot. Um, U.S. forces haven't had to fight without air supremacy uh, for decades. And you can operate in certain ways when you don't have to look up at the sky and worry about being attacked. You operate very differently when you have to worry about being attacked. So it absolutely does matter. Um, and I think that it is a priority for the West to get the Ukrainians all the help that they can, including, uh, you know, MiG and, uh, uh, you know, MiG aircraft that the Ukrainians know how to fly. I do think that we need to work hard to get them uh, those kinds of aircraft and reinforce them so that they can continue to prevent the Russians from establishing their superiority over their own country. Well, I did mention the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky. We've seen a ton of him on social media. He has not shied away from letting you know where he is in the Capitol, in his office. He's been speaking with members of British Parliament. He had a video call with Congress this past weekend. But we also had reports that there was some sort of Russian hit squad out there trying to find him, trying to assassinate him. Let's say, for example, here, Fred, that the Russians are able to capture or kill the president of Ukraine, Zelensky. Does that tip the scales in a major way towards Russia? Or do you think Ukraine can keep the fight going without their president, who really has become a symbol in all this? He has been. Uh, but and and he's he's been I mean, and I have to say, he's he's one of the more improbable heroes that history's turned up. But he has been a hero uh, and he is a hero and it matters. But there are a lot of heroes and Ukrainians are not fighting for Zelensky. Ukrainians are fighting for Ukraine. And they're fighting for their independence as a people from Russia against a brutal, vicious invasion. And I don't see them stopping that fight just because Zelensky 
uh, dies or is captured. I think other people will step up and I think that Ukrainians will continue the struggle. I don't think there's an easy way out here, uh, even if the Russian hit squads can take him or frankly, even if the Russians take uh, Kiev, even if they rubble it and take the city. Um, I, I think that Ukrainians are going to keep fighting because, you know, Putin has made it clear that, that the choice is continue fighting or face the destruction of the Ukraine of Ukrainian nationhood face the destruction of the recognition of a Ukrainian people and accept subjugation of the Ukrainian people to Russia. That is what Putin has explicitly put on the table. I don't think there's a world in which Ukrainians stop fighting against that at this point, frankly. Fred Kagan, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, director of the Critical Threats Program as well. Fred, I could sit here and pick your brain about this all day. We only have so much time on this. But if we do need more information and these daily updates that you've been pushing out there, what website can our listeners go check out? You can go to criticalthreats.org and uh, you can find all of our updates and our and our maps there uh, and as much detail as we can provide, we will publish. All right, good stuff. Keep putting out that information because the American public needs to know what's going on, as does the world. Fred Kagan, Senior Fellow with the American Enterprise Institute, Director of Critical Threats Program. Thanks for being with us on the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.